Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Is church a pleasure ship or is it a battleship? I'm going to talk to you about these two metaphors as we look at how we approach church. Is it for our entertainment or are we there for a greater service? Of course, the latter is true, but we'll kind of dive into the, these metaphors here in a moment. Before we do, let me quickly remind you that we're in our year-end fundraising campaign. We are still a long ways to reach our $15,000 goal. We are chipping away at that, but uh, we are just pretty much starting at the surface. And, and we'd be grateful if you could give us a call today to help us along the way to reach our year-end goal. The number to call is 800 616 That's 800-616-0082. If you want to give a check and you don't know our address, we'd be grateful if you give us a call and tell us what you're sending so we can kind of have a, you know, an idea of where we are. And the number again to call is 800-616-0082. Be glad to give you the address over the phone. Or you can give safely, securely now online at our webpage at fortressoffaith.com. Well, is church a pleasure ship or a battleship? There's a you know video place there that I use for our church intermedia, and they produced a you know kind of a good soul searching little video on this idea. A cruise ship, kind of like a pleasure ship. Are you there at church uh, because you know you want your church to be a pleasure ship for you? And they kind of ask these questions, you know, do you like the music they play in the ballroom? Is that why you like it? Do you like the captain and his crew? Is the service good? Am I well fed? Are my needs met promptly? Am I comfortable? Is my family getting the maximum fun out of this? Do I want to go on this cruise again with these same people? Or is there a greater mission? Should church be more like a battleship? And we ask questions like this, is the ship on a clear and noble mission? Does the captain submit to a higher authority? Is the crew properly trained and equipped for their mission? Are the members AWOL or are they faithful to their post? Do they take the battle seriously? And uh, are they honored for their efforts? You know, these are good questions, and I, and I believe that we need to have a better concept of why it is we're going to church. Many, many churches, it seems like today, are more and more carnal. You know, we dress to go to church like we're dressed to clean out the garage or, you know, go on a picnic or a drive. I mean, we're attending the house of God. And we make no effort to show respect to the house of God and the person that we've come to worship. Uh, it's being turned into a, into a pleasure cruise instead of that we're in our duty stations and being faithful to our post. And we're there to be trained and equipped for the mission that God has called us too. The Bible tells us that we need to realize that we're in a battle here. Ephesians chapter 6 
reminds us, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high place. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. We, we've forgotten that we're in a battle. There's a spiritual battle out there. And there's danger. The devil is trying to destroy us and to take us out. We need to be vigilant. We're told that very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8. So be, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Remember in the book of Job? When the devil was before the Lord, he said, you know, where have you been? Well, I've been walking to and fro around, you know, th through this world. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour as a, as a lion. And so we, we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober. We need to be prepared, putting on the whole armor of God. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, Let us therefore not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. I think one of the most poignant verses in the Bible, there in the book of Jonah, and the people come to the man of God, and they ask him, you know, in the middle of the storm, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Wake up. There's danger here. What are you doing asleep? Luke chapter 12, verse 31 says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee, thy faith fail not. We need to realize that the devil wants to destroy us, to cut us down, to sift us as wheat. And if you're not, if you're not realizing that you're in a fight, you're going to be a victim in the fight. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. As Paul writes to young Timothy, and later he says in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7, coming to the end of his fight. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We, we need to wake up and realize that, you know, church shouldn't be a pleasure ship. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have fun. That doesn't mean that we can't laugh. That doesn't mean that we can't have uh, uh, joy and, and, uh, and have our heart lifted and, and spirit lifted. But church isn't just a pep rally. Church isn't just for our enjoyment we live in a day where we are so taken over by entertainment neil postman who was a professor at new york university wrote a book back in 1985 amusing ourselves to death oh what a great book that was it's it's a convicting book and man that's back in 85 and the things he was touching on right there was so prophetic and the problems of the time then, and even now, it's even more so. We are so addicted to our devices, not even talking about TV. I looked at what are the stats about how much time do we spend on our devices, on our phones, on our computers. Uh, King University published 
this online about cell phone addiction. According to DS Count, we click, swipe, tap our phones on average 2,617 times each day. That's the average. Times that someone touches their phone 2,617. Top users are in 5,000, over 5,400 times a day. The average time spent on a phone is 2.42 hours, almost two and a half hours each day. Top users is almost four hours a day. Android users uh, unlock their phones. According to Business Insider, they unlock their phones 110 times per day. iPhone users, now this is back about 10 years old, uh, unlocks their phones 80 times a day. Flurry Mobile published a report and studies that we spend five hours a day browsing either on our phones or on our computers. We are addicted, and, and I, I, I confess I've, I've got some of this problem myself. I'm a news junkie. I'm, I'm researching and looking uh, and studying this, and it, you know, part of it's part of my work, part of my uh, my task to uh, to inform and to and to preach. Let me get back to Neil Postman. Neil Postman wrote near the beginning in the forward and a number of things, but one thing I thought was interesting because my son can testify to this as a school teacher. He said teachers cannot be good teachers unless they entertain in their classes. You're not considered a good teacher unless you can be entertaining to your students. Why? Because we live in a day and an age that kids cannot, you know, take knowledge unless they're being entertained to attract their attention. Uh, Last Sunday at our church, Victory Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, uh, we honored my parents for 47 years of missionary service, 47 years of missionary service. And so we went through some old pictures and so on there. And I had this one picture and I'm so glad I found it. And they were bringing kids into church. Now this is back uh, years ago. And, um, uh, we're talking 60s, 70s. And, and this van, this minivan that probably is a 12 seater had maybe 30 kids in it (laughs) crammed in. We didn't need seatbelts. We just kind of packed them all in. Back then, you can get away with that. Today, you can't. Uh, but there's a they were having a vacation Bible school. 300 kids, 200, maybe 300 kids in this class, in, in this room, in the assembly hall. Only three adults running this whole thing. An hour and a half with kids riveted to their seats for an hour and a half, being uh, taking in Sunday school class, you know, uh, songs and, and uh, flannel graph. And uh, a little bit of a gospel magic show that Dad did and stuff there, and they were in it. Today you couldn't even, you know, get these kids five, six years old to sit there for ten minutes with that. We've been so entertained to death. But a great uh, thought is put out in this book by Neil Postman, written in 1985, and uh, he opens with the George Orwell book his almost prophecies, this British novelist, prophet, if we could call him, you know, professing that in 1984, here's what's going to be going on in our world. Now, the man who wrote that, George Orwell, uh, died in 1950. He published his book, 1984, in 1949. And uh, But there's another person who made kind of a futuristic 
uh, novel written in 1931, Aldous Huxley. And so you got these two novelists about, you know, the future. What is it going to be like? And he says, we were keeping our eye on 1984, because that was the date that the book, book was written by Orwell. Wherever the terror had happened, we at least had not been visited by Orwellian nightmares. He goes on to write, says, but we had forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another, slightly older, slightly less well-known, equally chilling Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Orwell warns that we'll be overcome by an externally imposed oppression, but Huxley's vision, no big brothers required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, or history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression and adore their technologies that undo their capacities to think. Orwell feared that we would ban books. Huxley feared that there'd be no reason to ban books, for there would be no reason people would want to read one. Orwell feared that uh, they would deprive us of information. Huxley feared that those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egotism. Huxley said, people are often controlled by inflicting pain. However, in Brave New World, they are controlled, get this, by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us, and that's our pleasures. I'm here to tell you that we've turned church into a pleasure ship, and it is ruining us. We're no longer a thinking society, and we better wake up. So I hope you'll think on this today. That's going to be it for today. Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.